0: Good morning, Lakewood. <clears throat> Glad to be with you this morning to be able to have the chance to open up God's Word and continue on in the series on Joseph that we'll be in for the next number of weeks and months, really. Uh, the series that Steve started for us last week. You know, there's a saying that I've heard that goes like this. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that we can kind of shake our heads at, we can kind of chuckle at, Uh, we wish we could ignore, but we know that even though it might not actually be true all the time, that so often in our lives it can ring true for us, and it can feel like it's true, It it can feel like whenever we try to reach out and help somebody out, it can come back to haunt us, come back to bite us, it can feel like no good deed goes unpunished. Maybe it's something simple, like you pull over and try to help somebody get their car out of a ditch, and you wind up in the ditch. Maybe it's a situation where you volunteer to cover somebody's shift at work, and it turns out that because of any number of things that happened during that time frame, that would have been the last shift you wanted to take, and you wind up stuck there for a lot longer than you anticipated, and you're thinking, really? I was just trying to help him out. Or maybe it's a little bit more personal and relational. Maybe it's something where you've got two friends and they're not quite seeing eye to eye and you try to step in the middle and bring some peace. And before you know it, they're both mad at you for something that you didn't even have anything to do with at the outset. And you're thinking, wow, no good deed goes unpunished, huh? You know, Regardless of the situation, there, there are times when life just isn't fair. Certainly there's that unfairness of childhood, the, he hit me first, it's not fair. But those are the easy things in comparison to some of the bigger injustices that are faced in this world, some of the bigger hurts and instances of unfairness that we can all experience in our own lives. Life simply isn't fair. And sometimes even when we do what's right, Everything seems to go all wrong. I got to think that's perhaps what jo- Joseph was thinking in Genesis 39. If you have your Bibles there sitting on your sofa or want to pull up your uh, Bible app on your phone, why don't you go ahead and flip with me to Genesis chapter 39 and I'll be reading from there this morning. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge and we remind ourselves again that it gives us life. That it is the light by which we walk. We praise you, God, that you have seen fit to reveal yourself to us in your word. Teach us this morning we pray open our hearts open our eyes and let us see you more clearly we love you Lord amen this week we pick up the story of Joseph after he was sold to slave traders by his brothers if you weren't able to join us last week, you know the story, or you can go back and read it in Genesis chapter 37. But Joseph is the favorite of a total of 12 brothers. He does some foolish things that really just kind of rub that preferred status right in their face. And they respond with murderous anger. Uh, Then one day, Joseph is doing what his dad asked him to do. He's going to check on his brothers. He's going to check on the sheep. And his own brothers strip him of his cloak, beat him up, intend to kill him, and instead of killing him, sell him to slavers. And after all that, they lie to their dad to convince Jacob that Joseph is in fact dead. And as their brothers are spinning this yarn for dad, Joseph is being shipped across the desert. I don't know about you, but I wonder what, what would that journey have felt like to Joseph? What's going through his head those days as he's bound on the back of a camel or maybe shuffling across the sandy floor? What types of thoughts are filling his time. He would have had a lot of time to think. Perhaps at first he's plotting ways to escape and get back home. And maybe if I could find a little window of time, a, a little looseness of my bond, maybe I could get away and get back to dad. And a, as he gets further away from home, wondering, man, what what did they tell dad? Does he believe him? He, he's got to be just heartbroken. And being concerned for his dad and his family, then angry at his brothers i imagine and how could they do and i can't believe and not fair and then i imagine as the journey goes on starting to be anxious about what what is ahead what will this next piece of life look like obviously we have no way of knowing what's going through joseph's head as he traveled from his home to egypt but i would be surprised if the thought this Isn't fair. Didn't pop into his head at least once or twice. As he made that journey from being the favored son in Jacob's tent. To the slave in the house of an Egyptian man named Potiphar. And even as he's making that journey. Even as the disappointments and the injustices are flowing through his mind. Maybe he sees glimpses of it. Most likely he doesn't. But God's at work. Genesis 39 recounts that story to us. It recounts the time that Joseph has in Potiphar's house. And there are three main sections in that story. We'll take some time and walk through them this morning. First, verses one through six gives us kind of the setup. It's kind of the opening scene, if you will, to what's going on here. Then in verses seven through twenty, that's that's where the action of this story is. That's where things are happening. Uh, And then finally, in verses 20 through 23, there's a wrap-up that leads right into chapter 40, which is where we'll be next week. Let's this morning, instead of starting at the beginning, let's start with the action. Let's start in verses 7 through 20, then we'll come back to the introduction and those concluding sections as well. In the main body of this passage, we see, just as Steve pointed out last week, that Joseph is noble. His integrity here is seen by choosing to obey God rather than give in to this temptation that's placed right before him, a temptation that likely would have been easy to succumb to. Many sermons have been preached about the wise and godly ways that Joseph flees from the advances of his master's wife and how he does all that is in his power to distance himself from her. Joseph acts nobly in what he does in these passages. But Potiphar's wife's actions are anything but noble, aren't they? You're probably familiar with the story that she sets a trap of sorts. She arranges a time for her and Joseph where they'll wind up alone uh, in the house so she can try yet again to lure him into sin. And Joseph winds up needing to literally run not necessarily for his life but running for his integrity he flees so quickly and he flees so decisively that his robe is left in the woman's hand as she grasps onto it and having been refused by joseph again potiphar's wife concocts a story to bring about his demise She claims that it was Joseph and not her who instigated this episode. According to her telling in Genesis 39, it is he who left the cloak behind as he was in haste to escape. It wasn't her that was grabbing onto it. How interesting is it that for a second time in his life, for a second time in this short part of the story between chapter 37 and chapter 39 in Genesis, we find Joseph... Stripped of his garment, treated totally unfairly, and banished from his position. Twice he is at the ugly end of a web of lies told about him. First to cover up the sin of his brothers and convince his dad that he is dead. And then the second time to cover up a woman's sin and convince her husband, Joseph's boss, that he must be banished. Joseph acted nobly. Yet he finds himself treated unjustly again. But God remains at work in these horrible circumstances. He was at work uh, as Joseph arrived in Potiphar's house. And God is at work even as Joseph is banished from Potiphar's house. Let's take some time now and look at this introduction and this closing episode to see exactly how God is at work. I want to put these two parts of the chapter right next to each other so that we can see some things in them that God is drawing our attention to. Uh, There are five specific refrains that are repeated between the first verses of the chapter and and the last verses of the chapter. Uh, Here we've got verses 2 through 6. I've taken a couple of sections out just to help it fit better on the screen. And over here we've got the same chapter, chapter 39, verses 20 to 23. And, And Let's just walk through this and see some things that are almost exactly the same between these. First, God's presence with Joseph. The chapter starts out, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. It goes on and it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. And then at the end of the chapter, we see the same thing repeated twice again. Perfect bookends. In verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And then in the concluding verse of the chapter, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This refrain serves as bookends to the account. We see that uh, as soon as Joseph shows up in Potiphar's house, as well as when he winds up in the prison, we are assured that the Lord is with him. And it's interesting, in both cases, I've got to imagine that Joseph is wondering, wow, what's going on? Did God totally forget about me? Is God not paying attention? Has God left me? And we have the benefit here of seeing behind what Joseph would have seen, of seeing into what God is actually doing, what God is actually up to, and clear as day, The Lord is with Joseph. Secondly, in both places, Joseph finds favor in the eyes of his overseer. Uh, We see here that uh, the Lord gave him success, and Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes at the beginning. And then at the end, the Lord was with him, granted and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So both in Potiphar's eyes and in the eyes of the prison warden, Joseph is given favor Whether or not someone, especially someone in a position of authority, sees somebody favorably can make all the difference in the world. And we recognize that whether or not somebody sees us with favor doesn't always depend on things within our control. So the fact that Joseph finds favor, not because of what he does, but because of what God does on his behalf is no small thing. And the fact that we see it in both parts of this chapter is just driving home for us. The fact that though Joseph is noble, God is the hero here. Third thing we see, because God is with him, Joseph is put in positions of authority. In Potiphar's house, Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he, Potiphar, entrusted to Joseph's care everything he owned. A little later in these opening verses, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those. He was responsible for all that was done there. In both of these instances, in both of these places, at the front of the story, at the back of the story, Joseph is seen with favor, and that favor means that those in authority give him great responsibility. And fourth, not only does he have favor in the eyes of those in authority, not only is he given great responsibility, but the people in authority, both the prison warden and Potiphar, stop worrying about anything that they've placed under Joseph's care. The people know that Joseph is competent, he's wise, he's noble, so they have no problem letting him handle everything. It goes so far as to say that Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the eight. Only those things that were most closely connected to him. Is those are the only things that Potiphar gave any thought to. And for the prison warden, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. We see the clear parallels here in how Joseph was treated by those in authority. Yes, Joseph was competent. Yes, he was wise. Yes, he was noble. But it's because God was the hero that both of these men trusted Joseph so completely. And finally, Joseph sees great blessing and success in his work. At the outset, the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. And then uh, it goes on to expound on that. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, that's Potiphar, because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Just to be clear, in case we weren't sure what everything meant here. Everything is stuff inside and stuff outside. Everything that Potiphar had was put under Joseph, and everything that was put under Joseph was blessed. Same thing at the end of the chapter. As Joseph is managing the prison and is being given care of all things in that prison, Joseph was given success in whatever he did. Now, to be clear, Joseph is a skilled manager. He's a faithful steward. But ultimately, Joseph is successful because of the very thing that we first saw. Because God is with him. Joseph's success is such that both at the beginning of this passage and again at the end, we hear this refrain, the Lord gave Joseph success in whatever he did. Don't mess it here. God is the hero. God is the one granting success. God is the one conferring blessing on Joseph and those under his care. The Lord gave Joseph success. There's a problem there, though, isn't Isn't there? Twice in this chapter, we see a a nearly identical refrain that the Lord gave him, gave Joseph success in everything he did. Do you see the problem? Let's think again about the middle of this chapter. About the action in verses 7 through 20. How successful was it from a human perspective when Joseph chose obedience over temptation and acted nobly? How successful was Joseph against the attack of his brothers? If in fact the Lord is giving Joseph success in whatever he does, then how is it that twice in his life, Joseph finds himself literally stripped down, shackled, and sent away from a place of prosperity? It doesn't look like success, does it? What, looks, what it looks like is injustice. What it looks like is totally unfair. And it is unjust. It is unfair. So what do we do with this? What do we do with trying to reconcile the Lord gave him success in whatever he did when just verses before, he was acting nobly and he was essentially punished for it? Here's the truth. As one commentator says, had Joseph remained in Potiphar's manager, he might never have met Pharaoh's cupbearer in the royal prison. And been, un- and been elevated to the court. His present disgrace, being thrown in that prison, was a necessary preliminary to his future glory. The beautiful thing about looking at the story of Joseph in Scripture is that we can see the whole picture When Potiphar is lied to by his wife, he's only getting part of the picture. When Joseph sees the success that he has initially, he's only seeing part of the picture. And when Joseph is dealt unfairness and disgrace, again, he's only seeing a part of the picture. As we look to Scripture and the curtain is pulled back on what God is doing, and we can see clearly and fully that God is with Joseph, That God is giving Joseph favor and blessing. That God is at work in the midst of what seems like a completely unfair, a completely disastrous situation. Praise God for his word that pulls back the curtain for us. And allows us to see what's going on behind the scenes. Allows us to see That though it doesn't look like it, though it seems unfair and unjust, that God is at work in the midst of disastrous circumstances. There's there's three ways that we can specifically uh, apply this to our lives, that we can specifically understand this. The first thing that we need to understand, the first lesson that we can learn. Harm that befalls Joseph or us is not necessarily evidence of sin or unfaithfulness. How easy it might have been for one of Joseph's friends to come to him in jail and say, Hey, brother, looks like God's disciplining you, huh? Looks like he's trying to get your attention about something. Where, where'd you go wrong, brother? Maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe, maybe that's why you're in this bind. You, you gotta have more faith. And how wrong that friend would be. Joseph's situation in the prison is, yes, certainly part of God's way of growing him. And in that respect, it may be a type of discipline, but it is not punishment for wrongdoing. This great harm befell Joseph. He was lied about. He was unjustly accused. He was falsely imprisoned. But that harm did not become, come about because Joseph did anything wrong. It did not become, come about as a result of a lack of faith or a sinful action. And whenever we would suggest, either to ourselves or to those around us, that harm that comes into their life is because of a lack of faith or because of some sin, we're going against the clear testimony of Scripture now now hear me friends when harm comes our way we do well as we do well in all of life to examine ourselves to open up our hearts to the searchlight of god's spirit and to the searchlight of his word that we might be able to see uh, where we are in error in our ways, where there may be sin in our lives. But to fall into the trap for ourselves, or as we're ministering to others, to assume that any hardship which comes is automatically a result of a lack of faith or automatically a result of sin, is to ignore Scripture and to ignore the cross. It's to ignore the cross because we know that at the cross, for those who are in Christ, the punishment has been taken. Yes, the Punishment is deserved for sin? Of course. But for those who are in Christ, for those who are trusting in Him for salvation, the full punishment, the full wrath of God was born by Jesus. So there remains no punishment left for us. So when we find ourselves in unfairness or in trials or in disaster, it's not because God is angry with us not because He's punishing us. God's discipline for those who trust in Christ is from love, not from punishment. Secondly, in the same way that uh, harm doesn't mean sin, doesn't mean a lack of faith necessarily, obedience does not guarantee ease. How quickly we can fall into this trap. How quickly we can fall into the trap of thinking that if I just get it right, if I just find God's perfect will for my life, if I just do everything God wants me to do, then everything should go well for me. Joseph did what God wanted him to. And it wasn't easy. Jesus did exactly what God wanted him to. And it wasn't easy we shouldn't expect that it would automatically be the case for us either. We don't obey Christ for rewards or ease in the here and now. We obey Christ out of love for Him and out of amazing gratitude for the salvation that He's bought, knowing that not today, not in this age, but there will come a day when injustice will be made right and obedience will be recognized. We obey Christ not for the here and now, but we obey Christ for love and for eternity and if we would expect that our imbedi- obedience will assure us ease we're sure to be disappointed third thing we see is this because harm isn't necessarily evidence of sin and because obedience doesn't equal ease our willingness to trust God must not depend on our circumstances And as a matter of fact, trust that disappears in difficulty isn't really trust at all. Peter, in his first epistle, puts it this way. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's telling us that trials come to prove the genuineness of our faith. Trust that disappears in difficulty isn't really trust at all. Are you this morning in a spot that feels unfair. Maybe it's something specific and pointed. Maybe it's an injustice or trial that you're facing that makes you feel like you got a bullseye on your back. Maybe it's more general. Maybe it's the tension and the stress that you've been in that makes it just hard to remember uh, that God is good in difficulty and what seems like unfairness. Let me urge you this morning to trust God. Trust him. Trust Him by drawing near again to Him. He is not against you. He has sent Christ to bring forgiveness, to bring newness of life. He promises to draw near to those who draw near to Him. Trust God this morning by drawing near again to Him, running toward Him and not away from Him. Trust God this morning by persisting in obedience. Maybe you want to say, what's the point of been obeying? I've gotten nothing but trouble for it. I've been doing what God asks me to do. And it hasn't worked. Obey anyway. Trust God by continuing to do what he's calling you to do. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's not giving you the results that you want right now. God is at work in your obedience. He has a bigger plan. Trust him by continuing to obey. And trust him by walking patiently. Patiently by waiting patiently for what he's doing and for what he will do. We don't see it in these verses. It's easy to read through a chapter in a couple of minutes and forget about the fact that this is years of Joseph's life. We know from elsewhere in the story that Joseph is a teenager when he's taken to Potiphar's house, and he's 30 before he gets in the court of Pharaoh. Maybe you're saying, 10, 12 years, that's nothing compared to how long I've been waiting. But think about this with me for a second. Even a lifetime of 80 or 90 years of waiting patiently, of trusting God, of drawing near, of obeying Him. What is that compared to eternity? Whatever your circumstances this morning, trust in God. As individuals, let's do that. As people who love Jesus, let's do that. And Lakewood little real talk this morning. As a church, let's do that. As a body right now, not just as individuals, but as a church family, we might be tempted to feel like it's not fair. We're in the middle of this process uh, to address pain, to find some restoration and healing for past congregational hurts and try to move ahead. We're, we're almost to some big parts of it and COVID hits and the whole thing gets derailed. We've been loved and ministered to by Pastor Steve. We're so grateful to his ministry for us, for the ways that he has served us and loved us so faithfully and so well. And he gets cancer. What is, what's going on? It feels unfair. It doesn't make sense. Lakewood, let's trust God together. Let's lean in all the more and more to what God has for us. Let's seek humility as individuals that will lead to revival and lead to healing for us as a congregation. Instead of staying on the sidelines, let's keep looking for ways to serve one another. Maybe it's just picking up the phone and making a call to a friend from church that you haven't been able to see in a while, but you're thinking about and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? Can I help you at all? Whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you to lean in again to what God is doing here at Lakewood, let's trust God together, church. Let's believe again that God has good for Lakewood and that doing whatever we can as individuals to trust in him, whatever we can as a church to trust in him, we will see that good yet as a church. Let's trust God together, Lakewood. Lakewood, know this. God is at work in whatever seems unjust, unfair, or just plain wrong. In whatever disappointments and trials we would face as individuals or as a body, He has not abandoned us, but He is working for His glory. He's working for our good. Let's trust Him in that together. As individuals, as a body. Let's pray to that end. God, we thank You that You do love us, that You are with us. We thank You for the truth that You have in Your Word for us, not just as individuals, but as a church. God, when we are tempted to despair, when life doesn't feel fair and when we'd rather give up, would You help us to trust in You? Drawing near, choosing again to obey, waiting patiently. Would You allow us, would You show us how as a church To again trust in you. Believing that the best days of Lakewood are are ahead. Believing that you're at work. In the midst of difficulties and confusion. Thank you God that you are. We love you. We trust you. We pray this all in the strong name of Christ. Amen.